Welcome back in, Brady Farkas Show, right here on this Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM, and WDEVradio.com. Every single Wednesday, we talk with our guy at Nesson, Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider, TC. I got a ton to get to. How are you? I'm doing well, Brady. How you doing? Excellent. Let me ask you a basic yes or no question first, because how you answer will frame my next two questions. Are you a big Winter Olympics person? Uh, <clears throat> I wish that was an easy answer. I was. So, yes, I am. Let's say I am. Because, you know, my first job was up there at PPZ, and I was on the Plattsburgh side back then. And I spent a lot of time, uh, my first couple years out of college, covering the events in Lake Placid. We had World Cup everything, uh, from ski jumping to figure skating to biathlon. I I covered it all. So I I do get caught up in it. So, yes, I'm a Winter Olympic fan. All right. Well, then what did you think of your alma mater being represented at the Winter Olympics this week? St. Mike's skier, 19-year-old Sarah Escobar. She's the first ever female Winter Olympian from Ecuador. She was the flag bearer at the opening ceremonies, and she was a skier. Absolutely amazing for everybody at St. Mike's. Uh, So cool to watch her carry her flag into the opening ceremonies. uh, I was just watching her reel before we talked. Uh, Today she posted kind of some background stuff, behind-the-scenes stuff on Instagram of her going to a training session. And you really got a cool look at how the athletes come in. Uh, just an amazing story. Like I, So over the years, you know, working in, in Vermont, and I worked in Maine for a long time, I covered similar stories. I remember talking to a girl at the University of Maine, <clears throat> excuse me, the University of Maine Farmington, the little school up in Maine, and, and she was representing the Central American country as their first. Uh, and it's very cool because Sarah's parents are from Ecuador, so she's you know first generation, born in the U.S. and but great heritage with with her time uh, and her family's connection to Ecuador. She got to talk to the president before. I think it's just an amazing story. And for a 19 year old girl going to school in Vermont, young woman going to school in Vermont, uh, to to get out there and get this experience is great for her and great for the St. Mike's community. Well, let me ask you another Olympics-related question, but this side, I want to. Uh, this time, I want to go to your head versus heart debate here. So, we're very in on the Michaela Schifrin story here because she went to college, or she went to school at Burke Mountain Academy here in Vermont before she uh, hit it big on the national and international scene. Yesterday, NBC took a lot of grief after she skied out in the slalom. They were showing, you know, a kind of a constant shot of her dejected on the side. They went to split screen a commercial showing her. There was kind of a very raw and emotional interview maybe 20 minutes or so after the event had ended. Um, NBC got a lot of grief. They should have just let her breathe, people said. Should have left her alone. You're in the business. Can TV ever go too far when showing someone's vulnerability? Yes, yes, you can go too far. I didn't think that was too far. I mean, this isn't, you know, we're not talking about a, a tragedy of a, of a, of a, you know, a, a death in a family or something like that. I think that's where you can cross the line, right? Uh, this is part of the experience. You know, you're there to compete and, and win, lose, finish, or disqualify. Uh, this is what the Olympics are all about, right? I mean, uh, how, you know, you go all the way back to the thrill of victory, the agony of defeat. That was the agony of defeat. And part of the package uh, to be the best at what you do, part of the package to be a Lindsey Bond or somebody like that is that when when you don't succeed, you're going to get the same attention as when you do. Uh, and, I, you know, I was shocked to see all of that reaction because 
you, you really can't have it both ways. You can't expect television to celebrate the triumphs and, and ignore uh, the failures. And, and I think NBC did his job. Yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. I mean, I, w- I was watching a five-hour, five-set uh, Australian Open final a couple weeks ago where Daniil Medvedev had to come on court and address the, the, the full crowd in Australia, you know, 10 minutes after he just lost. Hey, I had to interview Tim Wakefield 10 minutes after he gave up the home run of the 11th mm. inning of Game 7 to Aaron Boone, okay? Uh, you got to do your job. You know, there's, there's – uh, Again, is it too raw? Well, isn't that what we want? Isn't that why sports is such great television? They're the ultimate reality TV. Uh, and you, it, raw emotion is what you're looking for. I, again, you know, I understand there are times, uh, and, and, and the, the name escapes me at the moment, but remember in the, or maybe you don't, but in the Euros last year, the soccer European club championship or, or country championship, uh, a player collapsed and, and had, you know, his heartbeat yeah. had stopped for a while. And, you know, there's a lot of belief that the cameras hung on it too long. Players finally kind of made a wall around him and, and protected him from the camera. And, and obviously they resuscitated him. He came back and it, it wound up fine. But that's a case where, where maybe you need to go to commercial break, right? But this wasn't that. She, she's okay. You know, she just, she, she wiped out. I mean, she didn't finish her run. Uh, if she had won the gold medal, we'd want the cameras in her face. I, I just think that's why you watch the Olympics. The beauty of the Olympics is watching these amazing athletes deal with success and with failure. And, and you know, she will bounce back. We've seen what she has done over her career. But this is a, a part of her journey, part of her story, and I want to see it. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson with us here on the Brady Farkas Show on this Wednesday on WDEV, AM and FM and WDEVradio.com. Let's go to another unpleasant topic right now, and that's baseball, as has been for the last several weeks here. Federal mediators, the U.S. Labor Secretary, they all want potentially involved in the lockout conversations. What's the impetus to finally get this thing moving forward? Like, where is all this going to start? I, I don't know. The federal mediator thing makes a lot of sense. My wife negotiates for a living. She said two months ago, I remember saying, why aren't they using mediation? Like, it, why don't they bring in a third party? So when when the owners did that, you know, the, the reaction is, well, good. Let's get, let's get somebody else in the room who can move them along. That said, you really uh, go back to 94 and you completely understand why the players rejected it because what happened in 94 isn't just the process of getting the, the mediation involved moved it further along towards an impasse. And once an impasse is declared, then you can go back to old standards and the players lose a lot of their negotiating ability. And they looked at this as a, a tactic to speed up the process of declaring an impasse. They're a long way from an impasse because they've barely been talking. So, I mean, could, a, could, could the Labor Secretary get in, not as mediation, but just as a voice to move them along? Maybe. All eyes are going to be on Commissioner Manfred when Rob Manfred tomorrow talks to, to us for the first time, talks to the media for the first time. We're going to get a really good feel. I assume he's going to officially announce a delayed start of spring training. That's pretty obvious because they're supposed to report next Wednesday. That's not going to happen. Even if, even if they're signing a deal right now while you and I are talking, they're not going to be able to open camp next Wednesday. So we know it's going to be delayed. That's not going to do anything to speed it up because there's no real money in spring training. Players don't get paid in spring training. Owners don't make a lot in spring training. Some teams don't make anything in spring training. Some big clubs make a lot. I do hope that the fact that the owners are together in Florida, previously scheduled owners meeting, I do hope that that allows the owners 
big market and small market to maybe hash out some differences that they have within their camp and, and come up with a unified front. And, and that we hear something from Manfred tomorrow where he not only talks to fans, but he's talking to the players saying, here's what we're willing to do to get this done. I don't want to hear nothing but the hammer. I want, I want to hear some, some positive uh, 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 you know, uh, suggestions that would pave out a road to success for this negotiation. I want tomorrow for Rob Manfred to speak directly to some of the players saying, listen, we hear you. Here's where we are. Let's get this done. And, and I think if you hear that, it could speed things up. Let me ask you one on-field Red Sox question. So it was John Heyman last week who reported what we've all speculated on, that the universal DH, it is coming, and it's going to be there this year, it sounds like. So we talked about the Red Sox potentially trading J.D. Martinez. Well, now you have a whole National League that's open now for business when it comes to finding places for him to go. So my mind tells me J.D. could be on the move, but then I also think things are going to happen so fast that – I don't know if you can pull the trigger on a deal like that, given kind of how helter-skelter everything's going to be. What's your read on Martinez? Yeah, in normal situation, I would agree with you that there's no real time to get a deal like that done. However, you're going to have every National League team or, or maybe two-thirds of the National League team looking for a DH. So I think a deal could get done quickly with Martinez because I think there's plenty of National League teams who would look at him. The one-year deal probably wouldn't cost you a ton to get him uh, trade it over, and then, you know, my guess is the Red Sox would go sign a Kyle Schwarber, somebody like that, who's out there and would be an easy replacement. So I think it could get done. I, You know, one of the holdups in the last couple of years for any suggestion of a J.D. Martinez deal is that he had the opt-out so a team that would be trading for him wouldn't really know what it was getting. Now you know you're getting him for the one year, you know the parameters of the contract, and the Red Sox know they have somebody out there in Kyle Schwarber who's a good fit here. So I think it could happen. It could happen quickly once the deal is done. DC, get you out of here on this. Bruins lose to Pittsburgh last night. It looks like Tuka Rask, his comeback is uh, pretty much done. What do you make of the Tuka situation? Well, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take it out of face value. And, you know, he did everything he could to come back. He had the surgery. He rehabbed. He felt good. Then he got into the grind of, of, of playing NHL games and facing NHL action. And I think, you know, once that happened, he realized that he's just not there at this age. Uh, I assume, you know, he'll make the announcement here. Bruce Cassidy last night was very clear. That's up to him to decide. We'll hear from him. I assume there'll be an announcement from Rask coming, and it'll probably be an official retirement. But, you know, I think he gave everything he could to come back. He wasn't the Duke of Rask of old. We saw that. Uh, you know, thank goodness they didn't jump at any kind of move to, to get rid of Swayman and trade him for something because they need Swayman. They need two guys. Allmark's been good. Swayman gets a chance now to be part of that tandem. The bigger concern right now is Bergeron leaving with an upper body injury and waiting for whatever happens after Marshawn, yeah. who seemed to have a burn aside from the start last night. Maybe this is what we talked about last week, that, uh, you know, he got snubbed to the All-Star game, so he came back twice as nasty as ever. Uh, but that was a little too much at the end, obviously. So suddenly the rosy uh, theme for the, for, the, for the Bruins isn't as rosy anymore. They've lost three out of five. They, they've blown two-goal leads three times in the last five games. Uh, the Tuka Rask isn't coming through that door to save the day anytime soon. Tom Karen, Red Sox and Bruins insider at Nesson TC. Super Bowl prediction, you got one? Yeah, you know, I, I like the whole Joe Burrow story. I really do. Cincinnati's a fun underdog to cheer for. 
Kevin Euclid, who does stuff with us, a huge Cincy fan, so he's making me root for the for the Bengals. <laughs> so I'll root for the Bengals. Why not? It's it's you know it's one of those if you don't have a whole, you know if you if you're not connected to either team, I don't know about you. It's it's kind of a tough one to really get excited about, you know, as far as rooting for a team. So. It is one of those rare ones. Usually I, I come up with a reason I want one team over the other. I've had trouble with that here. So I'm just looking forward to the game. Hope it's a good one. But I'll, I'll cheer for Burrow. I like, you know, I like the young quarterback taking a last place team in two years to the Super Bowl. That's a pretty cool story. It is a cool story. We'll see what happens on Sunday in TC. We will see how your uh, predictions played out next week. We'll talk to you in seven days. Thank you, Brady. Appreciate it.